Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 13th, 2019, we're continuing our series titled Knowing Truth, the Letters of John. And in today's sermon, Love and Obedience, Pastor Jeff Stevens is going to be teaching from 2 John. Enjoy! In a world of disagreements, large and small... I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people to suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. I gotta tell you that, um, as usual, I just, I love God's word. And I love what he has to say to us today through John and just the beauty of Christ that we can see in just this simple, practical application. I'm hoping today that I can uh, bring this into a very practical application of our everyday living. Uh, but just to look at it and in context of where John's at. So, we are going to be in the, in the second book of John and going to be looking at that. So if you want to turn there and be ready, but what I'd love to do is just kind of just open uh, even my heart just in prayer to share uh, what God uh, inspired John to say here in this message. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your constant provision and protection. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your word, uh, that you would... Um, so confidently through John, uh, inspire him to write this very short message, but so powerful for us to know um, you in truth and love, and that that love would compel us into a life of obedience. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and in the knowledge of your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before I get into Second John, I just want to remind us that that John is uh, aging, he's, he's probably well into his 90s uh, at this point, and, uh, and, and John, um, uh, you know, even in other uh, writings, Papias, one of the fathers of, uh, of the church and the early church, um, wrote about his experience of working side by side with John in Ephesus, and even in his 90s, he referred to him as just a tireless evangelist. So John is, at this point, he is the last living apostle. Think about that. To have been in a time to walk with a guy like John in the early church and to know that this guy, this guy walked physically with the person of Jesus Christ. He had first account experience of what Jesus was really all about I don't know about you, but I would love to just sit down with such a person and just explore. Tell me stories. Tell me about what you experienced when you were on those roads and you were evangelizing and sharing the gospel from town to town and you were going about your way and preaching the truth that Jesus is, in fact, the come Messiah and that he is the Savior of the world. The timing of this letter um, is not really... Um, our ability to determine specifically when it was written, but it had to have been written right around the same time as 1 John. 
And we're going to see some parallels from 2 John where he's actually just paralleling saying it's something that he said in 1 John. And even next week when we get into 3 John, we're going to look at that and how he's saying things that he said in 2 John and in 1 John. And so it's a small text. In fact, I think we were to probably call it a postcard. It's such a small letter. Maybe even in contemporary language, we would call it a text. That what John is doing here is sending a brief message. But I want to remind us that the second and third letters of John, they're the shortest New Testament letters that we have. They're even smaller than Philemon and Jude. Uh, They're little less than 300 Greek words apiece. So not a huge, a huge writing. And the same themes which the author, John, has communicated in his first letter recur in brief in both the second and the third. But the form of the letter here is different. It's less of a treatise. And so in a treatise, right, it's a a systematic exposition or argument that includes methodical discussions of facts and principles. So if you recall, in 1 John, he kept talking about this is what a Christian is, this is what a Christian isn't. This is light, this is dark. And he kept showing us those contrasts so that we could have a better definition of understanding what does it mean to know Jesus, to be a true testimony of the person of Jesus Christ. This letter has an overarching theme and it deals with the subject of hospitality. And this hospitality that he's talking about here is how we not only interact with one another, but he's going to delve into how do we deal with people who are, who are quote unquote false teachers or antichrists, people that are, that are against Jesus. And he's going to deal with those particular subjects. And in concern there, that hospitality, what was going on at the time is there was itinerant teachers who were uh, taking the, Greek, the, the Roman roads and they were in the Greek roads and they were traveling around and they were going from place to place to place. And unlike today, right, where Tom Bodette keeps the light on for you, right, there weren't a whole lot of, of places to stay. And even culturally, the innkeeper, right, would have been this person You would have had the tax collector. We know how the tax collector is, right? And then there would have been the innkeeper, and then there would have been probably the rat. This is not a well-esteemed position. Um, They weren't really appreciated. So there was a need for traveling preachers and evangelists of God's word for a place for them to stay, a bed for them to sleep. And they relied heavily upon home churches that would in fact house them and take care of them and nurture them and feed them and actually give them stuff for on their road trip to continue to share the truth of the gospel. So ultimately what John's doing here is he's going to both show us what this looks like and how it practically applies, but he's also gonna show us how we are to treat people who are traveling and how we are to treat those who are in fact taking advantage of our hospitality and aren't in fact teaching a true gospel. This hospitality wasn't that much different, but there's deceivers out there. And we're going to deal with this subject of deceivers. I don't have this on the board because it it came to me this morning in my own quiet time. But I want to read for you 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Peter tells us, it says, but false prophets also arose among the people 
just as there will be false teachers among you who, see, who will secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many, I want to repeat that again, and many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with their false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. False teachers, false prophets exist not only then, but they exist today. And we should be cautioned by those who come and proclaim that they are talking about Christianity when they're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. When a person does not take on and look at Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, the God who became the God-man, who's in flesh and is, in fact, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Verse 14 of John 1, right? The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. John's going to warn us about these people. John will tell us that a genuine Christian, as genuine Christians, that we would recognize one another by the message we bring. And we'll recognize them by the motive which inspires them. You see, the only thing that differentiates a Christian from all other religious viewpoints is Christianity is about God reaching to man through the incarnate Son of Jesus. All other religions are trying to work their way through their righteousness, through their deeds to the person of God, rather than accepting the God-man who came and satisfied the wrath that was due unto you and me. But if we faithfully proclaim the doctrine of Christ, and if we have set out not for personal gain, but for the sake of his name, then those people should be not only received and helped forward in their journey, but they should be received in such a way that is worthy of God. We have a problem in our culture today. Can we just agree on that? Our culture is this weird, weird culture. I mean, I sit there sometimes and I think about my childhood. I think about um, the early days in, in life. And there is such a polarizing contrast just within the culture. And what I want to propose to you today, in, in John's time, he was dealing with, with, with false teachings that centered around what we call docetism and dualism. And rather than spend time explaining those things, they're just kind of anti-Christ doctrinal beliefs that are in fact false. But we haven't gone far from that today. Culturally, today, I would say that the modern day deceiver in our culture is what we would just simply call autonomy. This is the false teaching of the day. This false teaching of you do you. This world where we're forced into a position of agree to disagree. And the warning that John is ultimately going to give us here is that we can't do this. If someone says to me, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe Jesus is God, 
then I cannot agree to disagree. I merely have to recognize that they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And it won't capitulate. It won't negate your responsibility or my responsibility to still treat the person in loving kindness. John's going to use some very harsh words of saying, don't have such a person even in your home. Don't greet such a person. And we'll deal with that. We'll talk about that. But this world of culturalism that is driving us towards autonomy, that word just means individual law, my law, meism. We see this with people. We can't wake up on any day without someone being offended by something. In fact, we go through this life saying that, well, I identify as, I identify as. And I know who to blame for this. It's my culture. It's this, it's this middle-aged culture that found our identity in work rather than the person of Jesus Christ. And it's kind of unfolded from there. And I got to tell you, it's just ridiculous. I remember, I remember a time when I was traveling on business. I went to Omaha, Nebraska, right? During the first service, a couple came to me. It was their first time here. And I insulted Omaha, Nebraska. And they came and said, hi, it's our first time here. We came from Omaha, Nebraska. I'll just apologize in advance, (laughs) right? But I went to Omaha, Nebraska. And as a Southern California boy, I truly believed everywhere in the world is 72 degrees. (laughs) It's the dead of winter. I'm pulling into Omaha as I got off the plane. And lo and behold, in the dead of winter, it was cold. I have no jacket, I have no sweater, I have nothing to keep me warm, it's below freezing. And I'm walking around my business colleagues making fun of me, he's like, you're such a, and we're going through that and I'm like, buddy, I have to get a coat, I have to get something. So he pulls over, we go into this store, it's called Dillard's. I'm like, man, I just, I need a jacket, I need something, I don't care what it looks like, I don't even care if it fits me, I just need something to keep me warm. This wonderful young lady, right? She's standing back there. I step back in the men's department. She says, how can I help you? And I said, you know, and you know Omaha. You know Nebraska, right? Right? I mean, not only the cattle corn-fed, the people are corn-fed, right? We, we, we start to realize, listen, hey, big men can make fun of other big people. That's just the rule. Right? There's no insult here. Eh, whatever. But you start to realize, right, that you're in this place it isn't familiar to Southern California where everyone's, you know, this big. And, and you, you sit there and the little girl says to me, she says, you know, what size are you? And I did the standard. From the looks around here, I'd say a medium. <laughs> the gr- I gotta tell you, the girl laughed. <laughs> and then she just walked me over to the big boy section, you know? It's like, all the insults are done, we're good, right? But see, I can't walk, just like I walk up to VBX every year, we're handing out the t-shirts for us to wear at the thing, and they're like, okay, hey Jeff, you're here for your shirt? And I'm like, yeah, I identify as a medium. They hand me the 3X and I walk away. I love the fact that I can go into the DXL, the big man store, right? And I'm a small there, right? All these things that help build us and it's, 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 it's attacking and helping me with my own autonomy to identify on how I feel as opposed to the reality of what is. 
I don't even know about your ladies' stores and all these sizes you make up that aren't even associated to anything real. <laughs> when I was younger, a size six was a big girl, and now it's a tiny girl. And I don't know how this works. I don't know how the math works and all this stuff. And I'm looking for truth, but none of us want to deal with the truth. And the reality is, is that we have this conflict between truth and feelings or truth and fact. And what God is calling us to is not an autonomous life, but a theonomous life. You see, theonomy just means God's law. The reality is, is we're to follow God's word and what he tells of us. And I don't get to identify with the false teacher Hey, I hear you. I feel you, man. I feel you. I mean, let's just agree to disagree. No. You don't get to do that. And we're going to look at that. Second John. He starts off by saying, The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Verse four, I rejoice. We'll come back to that word rejoice, it's important. Greatly, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Commanded by the Father. This word truth It's used five times in the first four verses. This is the emphasis that John wants to start the letter with. Now, whether you interpret the elect lady as an individual or a metaphor for Christ's bride, the church, the subject matter is not going to change. But when I can't understand the difference between those two, we take the most logical explanation. And so I'm teaching this from this perspective that this is an individual woman that John wrote to and her children. She more than likely was the host of a home church and a home fellowship. And in this, what he's saying to her is that it's truth that leads everything. Truth just simply means conformity to reality. It means to be in exact accordance within that which is or has been or shall be. Jesus Christ is the truth. John 17, 17, I think it's on the board here. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This word truth in the Greek is aletheia. And what it simply means is a truth that is corresponding to reality. That's all it is. It's reality. You can't walk into a store and declare yourself a medium when you're not a medium. You have to deal with truth. And when we start to realize that Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, we start to realize that truth is an important point. John starts off here dealing five times with the word love, and he says, love in truth, know the truth, because of truth that abides in you, truth in love, walking in truth. 
The question for all of us today is, are we walking in truth? Walk in the truth of Jesus. This is what John starts as his most important meeting and what is applicable today. We must walk in truth. John 14, verse 6 said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Through him. Through Christ himself. I want to go back just for a second to that verse 4 where where John says, I rejoiced. The word there is the word Cairo. And it means also not only to rejoice or to be glad or to be delighted, but it also means to greet. In fact, we're going to see later in verses 7 and 8, we're going to see that John's going to tell you not to greet such a person that's a false teacher. Do not even have them in your home. But I want you to know that greet and rejoice is the exact same word. So what happens here is that the word goes to the, con- the context and the intent of the letter. This word rejoice is not like our typical or our greeting that we have as our kind of colloquialisms which look and resemble something more like, hey, how you doing? It's not a casual pass by. How are you? Don't really mean that, don't tell me, right? It's not those kind of greetings. It's the kind of greeting, right, that starts with, if I were to take someone, if I were to take uh, our our own uh, senior pastor, Bob Wade, and I were going to introduce him to a group of people, I would say, I want you to meet not only a dear friend and my pastor, I want you to see a man who loves Christ, who loves his word. And I want you to greet him as a brother in Christ. That's a greeting. That's what John's talking about here when he says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Nothing brings me so much great pleasure than when I come across someone. A young man came uh, to me via Facebook. I haven't seen or talked to him in 25 plus years. He was part of one of my Bible studies. And he sent me a text or sent me a message through Facebook. He says, Jeff, I don't know if you remember me. He says, but I just want to thank you for sharing the truth of Christ with me. It took 20 years, but I love Jesus. That's beautiful. You never know when the word of God is going to take root in a person and they suddenly see the truth that is in the word of God. But we can't forget where truth comes from. It comes from the very word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've got to remind ourselves, why did Jesus come? And we may come up with these answers like to save the lost, to serve. And all those things may in fact be true. But listen to the words of Jesus when asked the question, what is truth? Listen in Pontius Pilate in John 18, 36 through 37. It says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, listen to this, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? By walking in truth. We can certainly, we can take a lot of the Old Testament, we can go back to Isaiah 52, and we can see the prophecy of the coming Messiah. This is that Messiah who has come. And the reason for the truth we're going to see is found in the context of verses 7 and 8. But know this, that truth precedes love. Truth in life precedes love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Your only ability to love in agapeo, in agape, is because he first loved you. Don't forget this truth. Oftentimes we think that, oh, I'm just such a loving person. You are a loving person because of the Holy Spirit that is in you, because of the person of Jesus Christ set his affection upon you. The better question to be asking yourself is out of 7.2 billion people in this world, why did he set his affection upon you? And are you, in fact, fulfilling what he called you to do to walk in this truth? Point two, there is no new commandment in love one another. There's nothing new here. In fact, this this has always existed. This is why when the Pharisees came to Jesus and tried to trap him, right? And they said to him, what's the greatest commandment of all? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, there's nothing new. He's really just paraphrasing the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, of making God the highest and most important thing and your purpose and your role, just like Cain and Abel. When God came and said to Cain after he'd killed his brother, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? You are truly your brother's keeper. It is our responsibility to love one another and to love each other in truth. Sometimes we're so afraid of losing a friendship that we won't firmly stand and say to a brother or sister, I love you so much, but you're not following the commanded will of God. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I be with you? This is the loving testimony that he's trying to get across. He's talking about agapeo, to love. It's it's not only our love of God and love for his son, his love for his people, but it's an act of love for people, including your enemies. To love them with the gospel. Verse five, he says, and now I ask you, dear lady, Not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. 1 John 2.7 says, Beloved, this is the parallel. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
Or 1 John 3.11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You see, there's nothing new here. We start to realize that this is, in fact, an old commandment, and there's nothing has changed. Our church posts on the walls, love God, love people, and as we've added of recent days, make disciples. The great commandment is love God, love people. The great commission is go, therefore, and make disciples. This is how we show the love of Christ, by walking in this truth. Our third point, deceivers, deceivers deny the incarnation of Jesus as the Messiah. Deceivers deny Jesus as the Messiah. The one thing that separates Christianity from all the religions, of course, is God reaching to man rather than man reaching to God. The object of our faith is what differentiates you from all other beliefs. The object of our faith is the person of Jesus the Messiah. That is the object of our faith. John's trying to get this across. He says here, he says, for many deceivers have gone out, in verse seven, into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. In other words, just against Christ or working against Christ. And what's important here is to understand that this is intentionally working against Christ. It's not an issue of ignorance, right? Hebrews tells us that God died not only for our sins of ignorance, but he died for our sins of willful disobedience for those who believe in him. But in this false teacher case, what he's saying here is in verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we, or some manuscripts will actually say the word you, but so that we or you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse nine, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. The parallels to this are found in 1 John 4.1 where it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or 1 John 2.21 says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. It was you, if you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, which is eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Our whole world is trying to deceive you. This you do you culture, this agree to disagree, this mindset of that, no, no, it's okay, you can have your own form of Jesus. 
And we have plenty of people, right, who come door to door talking about Christianity, but it's not the gospel of Christianity, is it? Because they deny Jesus to be the deity. I remember we were having a family gathering in California, and some gentlemen came to the home to share their form of the gospel. And as we stood out on the front patio and we talked about these things, I remember saying to them, you know, I'm not here to try and convince you or convert you or even convict you, but I have to tell you the very things that you're sharing with me here today are simply not true because that's not what God's word says. And as they went on their way, one of my uh, relatives said, you know what I really like about those people, though? They're really highly moral people. No. No, they're not. They're deceivers. They're false teachers. We don't like that. We don't like that kind of language because it's not soft enough. And I'm not looking to sit here and claim, oh, they're a cult, they're a cult, they're a cult. No, I'm here to tell you what they need is the gospel. What they need is to know that Jesus Christ is the God. He is the God incarnate who came and worked and walked amongst us. And more importantly, he died for us. He sacrificed. He was the only thing that could perfectly satisfy the wrath of God that was due unto you and to me. He and He alone is the one who has saved your soul. Your only requirement is to put your faith and to believe upon Him. What a fantastic deal. You're saying all I got to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. And that believing will manifest itself in walking in the truth and the love and the obedience of God's Word. That's what it does. That's the truth. John is paralleling this to 1 John 2, 23, when he says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son also has the Father also. I think we start to realize that people are going to come to our door. One came to my door one time, and as he was sharing what he had to say, I said, listen, I'm standing on the porch, I said, listen to me. Let me point you in several of your different written works. Let me show you that in one of your infallible and errant works, it says that Jesus is not God. And let me take you to another passage within your book, and let me show you in another infallible and errant work where it says that there is no other God but Jesus. Which one is it? And the kid looked at me and he says, well, that's a really good question. That's fantastic. I, I mean, I don't know. Then might I make a suggestion that you stop going door to door until you know? Because this is not a communication of your feelings. This is a communication of the truth which is founded in the word of God itself. And if it's true, there will be no contradiction. Because it is the infallible, inerrant word of God. And I looked at him and I said, and if you're going to insist upon going door to door, then the rest of my day sucks because I'm going to have to follow behind you door to door. And I'm going to have to tell all those people what you're saying is false. It's not true. And I can tell you what happened in that story. I got three doors down and he finally left. What's sickening to me within our church is that what they will do for a lie, we won't do for the truth. It is our responsibility 
to take the oracles of God, to take the word of God, to take the person of Jesus Christ and to show the beauty and the loveliness of Christ to all that we encounter, including that false teacher who made the mistake of showing up at my door. (laughs) But what God intentionally brought him to me to reveal, am I willing to stand on the truth in love and obedience to what God has called me to do? Will you join me? Will you join the other pastors and the elders? Will you in fact do this to be a living testimony of the person of God, the person of Jesus Christ, and to love people with the gospel? John closes it here. He says, though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Of course, at this point in time in life, I wish he would have used paper and ink, but he didn't. Instead, he wanted to come and talk to them face to face and our joy be made complete. Brothers and sisters, you're not going to win people to the Lord over Facebook. You're not going to win people to the Lord through Instagram. You gotta go face to face with them, knee to knee with them. And you have to look them in the eyes and you have to say, I love you. But if you don't place your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, there is no good plan for you. I fear the moment that you will come face to face with a holy God, this consuming fire. Because if you don't enter into his presence with the advocacy and the satisfying of the wrath of the person of Jesus Christ, it's not a good meeting. Love people with the gospel. My fourth and final point as I conclude here is this. Knowing the incarnate Messiah reveals the truth of God's love and his love compels obedience. It's summarized here in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, right, in the person of Jesus Christ, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to satisfy the wrath for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Live your life for Jesus. Live your life. Stop hating the people around you to protect your autonomy and start living under the commanded will of God How are these people going to hear the word of God if it isn't with you preaching and teaching and showing them the reality and the truth of God? That's God's design. 
He entrusted you with His Word. He implanted His Holy Spirit upon you. Jesus and God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all reside in you and have fully equipped you for every good deed. You are His workmanship. As Paul says, you are His poem created for good works. You merely need to abide. But watch out. There's deceivers out there who are going to try and pull you away from this Jesus. Stand firm in the truth and the love of God and obey Him by living for Him. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank You so much for Your presence in our life, in Your Word, in Your truth. Lord, we ask You to fill us with grace and mercy that we would see ourselves as sinners that need to repent and take hold of your faith so we can experience joy. And as we experience this inward joy of what you've done in our lives, may it propel us outwardly to live out the opportunity to love and minister to the people you would bring before us. And as we do this, may we die to ourselves to step out in faith and then back again to rejoicing in what you and you alone are gonna do. Lord, as we're about to sing, and as we sing these words about the Ebenezer, oh, how I'm reminded how Samuel talked and he raised the stone above his head and called it the Ebenezer. May we stand firm in the rock of hope, the person of Jesus Christ. It's in his name. Brothers and sisters, may each of us be the embodiment of the person of Jesus Christ as we share as, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, right? He says, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted to forgive as Christ through God forgave you. May this be our message to share in the truth and the love. And may it compel us to live a life based upon God's law, to obey him, not to earn him, but because of what he's done for you. May we grow in his grace. Love you.